Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is one out of St. Louis, Missouri. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Phoenix Colden was the only child of Goldia and Lawrence Colden, and they spoiled her with love every single day since the day she was born in 1988. The family was born in California, but they moved to St. Louis when her dad got a better job offer. He took the gig and they headed east to a small area of the city called Spanish Lake and never looked back. Even though her father worked hard and her mother was a social worker, they never ran out of time to make sure that Phoenix knew that she was the center of their world. Goldia managed to homeschool Phoenix for part of her life. They got her into fencing and music. She won a crap ton of fencing awards and was really respected in the sport and also learned how to play the piano and the guitar and even the freaking handbells. You know, the ones that you see in churches during Christmas time or that one really cool episode of New Girl? Bonus points if you get that reference. Anyways, she was talented. Phoenix was their star, and she was a light to more than just her parents. She had no trouble fitting in. She excelled in college, where she attended the University of Missouri-St. Louis, and she had plenty of friends at her church, where she was very involved in, especially in the choir. Every Sunday, she was there like clockwork, and the church wasn't just an obligation to her. Her faith was something she genuinely felt in her soul, and she wanted to share that with the world, which is why Sunday, December 18th, 2011, seemed like any normal Sunday. Phoenix, who was 23 at the time and currently living at home with her parents while she attended her junior year at UMSL, woke up and got ready for church. She played the handbells in the choir that morning and socialized for a little bit afterward. When she left the church, she ran a few errands before heading home. Around 3 p.m., Phoenix, driving her Chevy Blazer that was only 10 years younger than she was, pulled in the driveway of her parents' house, but she didn't get out. Her mom said this was pretty normal. She could tell Phoenix was on the phone, and this wasn't uncommon for her to chat with her friends for a minute before hopping out and coming inside. But she never came inside. Instead, her dad looked out the window a few minutes later, and Phoenix and her blazer were gone. She's 23, so he didn't think too much of it. He just figured she was probably running another quick errand and would be back in a few. But a few passed, and then a few hours passed, and neither Goldia nor Lawrence had heard from their daughter. This wasn't like her, but she was an adult, and there was a little wiggle room for the worry for now. They had planned to decorate the Christmas tree that night, so they figured she'd be back soon enough. But by the time they went to bed, there was still no word from Phoenix, and now things were starting to feel off. Her mom had trouble sleeping that night, and at 4 a.m., she woke up and checked Phoenix's room to see if she had come home, but her room was empty. She looked outside to see if her blazer was in the driveway, but it wasn't. And this is when, in her gut, Goldia knew something was wrong, but she was going to give Phoenix until the morning. 
The morning came and Phoenix still hadn't so much as texted either of her parents, so they started making calls of their own. They called family members that they thought she might have gone to see, but they hadn't seen or heard from her. They called Phoenix's friends to see if maybe she'd gone out with them the night before or they'd heard anything from her since her parents had last saw her in the driveway, but again, none of them had. They called Phoenix's friends to see if maybe they'd gone out with her the night before or heard anything from her since her parents had last seen her in the driveway, but again, none of them had. In a last-ditch effort to try and figure out where Phoenix might be, they called the hospitals in the area to see if maybe she'd been in some kind of accident, but she wasn't at any of the hospitals either, so it was time. Golia and Lawrence called the police and reported their daughter missing. They tell the police everything they know, which isn't a lot. They tell them that Phoenix was last seen the previous afternoon around 3 p.m. in the driveway of their house, that she was wearing her school's gray sweatpants with UMSL printed vertically down the side of one leg, and was wearing either a dark blue or a black hoodie and some tennis shoes, and that no one who knows her seems to have heard or seen from her since. The biggest hurdle here was Phoenix's age. She's not a minor. She's a 23-year-old woman who can decide to do and go where she pleases. So her parents not having heard from her in 18 hours isn't the same as, say, a 12-year-old who walked to the bus stop and didn't make it to school. However, that doesn't mean Phoenix is in any less danger. While adults can make their own decisions and can leave on their own accord, we have to be careful in assuming that that's the case. The UMSL Daily reports that Phoenix's parents gave the police her license plate number, which was registered to her mother, and when they ran it, nothing came up. There was no evidence that she'd had any run-ins with the police, been pulled over, or been in any kind of accident, but they'd keep an eye out. Gloria and Lawrence hit the ground running with missing persons flyers and put them up anywhere that they could. Businesses, telephone poles, street signs. They asked for anyone who's seen her to call either them or the police, but 10 days go by with nothing. No word from Phoenix, no signs of her anywhere. But on January 1st, 2012, something unexpected happens. Gloria and Lawrence were starting off an entire new year wondering how they were supposed to survive it with a gut-wrenching emptiness of having a missing child when their phone rang. It was a family member who says that they spotted Phoenix's blazer. The blazer wasn't in a parking lot, it wasn't in a driveway, or even stalled on the side of the road. It was sitting in an impound lot. Her parents rushed over to the impound lot to see if it really was hers, and lo and behold, it fucking was. And it had been there since the day Phoenix went missing. According to the paperwork, it had been found parked facing the opposite direction of traffic 20 miles from her house at the intersection of 9th and St. Clair Avenue in St. Louis at 6.23 p.m. on December 18th, 2011. The fact that her car was impounded so quickly caught me off guard. Generally, when there's an abandoned vehicle on the side of the road, you'll see an officer place a neon sticker on one of the windows with information about when they initially came across it and then tow it after a certain period of time if no one moves it, usually around 72 hours. Getting towed immediately was surprising, 
but not as surprising when you consider the fact that it was facing the opposite direction of traffic, which begs the question, did she leave it there and just get a dose of bad luck as far as getting it towed, or did someone else leave it there and know the trick to getting it impounded before anyone would ever notice the owner was missing? Phoenix's car had been impounded for hours before she was ever reported missing, and somehow, for some reason, there was no report taken by police that showed up when they ran her plates the following morning. No one even bothered to run the plates when it was found, according to initial reports, running with the keys in the ignition in the driver's side door open. Had they run the plates, they would have seen that it was registered to Goldia, they could have called her, and the search for Phoenix wouldn't be two weeks behind. Once at the impound lot, Phoenix's parents look inside to see if it can give them any insight as to where she might have gone, if anyone else was in the vehicle with her, or if there was any kind of struggle, and what they do find only makes them worry more. According to the Huffington Post, inside of Phoenix Blazer, they find her purse, her driver's license, her glasses, a pair of shoes, her laptop, and her iPad. No inventory report was ever made by police who claimed that there was nothing in the car. There was a lot left in that car that would be pertinent to a missing persons investigation. Two extremely expensive items were left behind, which would pretty quickly rule out the likelihood of a robbery. But her glasses and ID were left behind. If she left on her own, it's pretty unlikely that she'd leave her glasses behind. She's going to need to see, and using her insurance card to get a new pair would have given away her new location. You're also going to need your ID for pretty much anything ever, but she didn't take that with her. It's also important to note what wasn't found. It was never mentioned that her cell phone was found in the vehicle. So, where is it? Why did she take her cell phone with her, but not her iPad or laptop? And who was she with on the phone in the driveway the day that she disappeared? That seems like it would be pretty important information, but it's something that I dug and dug and dug for while researching this case, and I could never find an answer to. While we might not know who she was talking to that day, we do know that she hasn't talked to anyone since. There has been absolutely no activity on her phone or from her bank account since December 18th, 2011. Goldie and Lawrence call the police department and let them know that they found Phoenix's car and everything that they found in it, and her parents head out to that intersection to put up flyers and talk to anyone they run into to see if maybe they had seen Phoenix. This intersection was right off of a very busy highway and in a really sketchy part of town, riddled with abandoned houses. This area has a pretty atrocious crime rate, literally the fifth most dangerous city in the country when it comes to violent crime, according to Alarms.org. It wasn't anywhere they expected their daughter to be, let alone an area they'd expect her to leave her car running in. And they didn't expect many people to be willing to talk to them about a missing person, but sometimes people surprise you. According to the Huffington Post, the family did come across some people who say they had seen Phoenix the day she went missing, but they hadn't seen her since. 
And this begs the question, where did they see her and what made them remember seeing her two weeks after the fact? Did they see her in the car facing the opposite direction of traffic? Her windows were tinted, but it's certainly possible. Or did they see her out walking? And if she was, who was she walking with? Again, these are questions that no matter how much I looked into this case, I couldn't find the answers to. I pulled up a map of this intersection to see what I could find, and within a two and a half block radius, there was an ATM and a bus stop, both of which should have cameras. Whether they were ever checked for footage of Phoenix, again, I couldn't tell you because frankly, no one has ever mentioned either in any of the publications that I've come across. You would assume that police would have rushed over to that impound lot and seized Phoenix's car and processed it for evidence, but it doesn't look like that's how this went down, because her own parents were told that they needed to pay $1,000 to get it off the lot. An impound lot, which had been holding the car of a missing person for two weeks, expected the parents of said missing person to pay $1,000 to get it out. According to the Huffington Post, that fee wasn't waived until Goldia and Lawrence filed a complaint with the mayor. This is the kind of shit that parents of missing children shouldn't have to deal with. Where were the police during all of this? There was no report made on the vehicle being towed. There was no inventory report taken on the items inside of the vehicle when it was towed because they allegedly said there was nothing in it. And now when the vehicle is found, they're not seizing it from the impound lot. On January 5th, 2012, the police finally went out to where her blazer had been towed from and brought cadaver dogs with them. At this point, two and a half weeks into her disappearance, regular old scent tracking dogs wouldn't have much to go off of, so cadaver dogs were their best bet. If Phoenix had been killed prior to her car being abandoned, but alas, the dogs alerted to nothing. According to KMOV, the police are back out there the next day, but this time it's because of a tip. They're searching a wooded area near the intersection, and they've got the SWAT team with them. It's never revealed what that tip entailed or what they thought they might find back there, but this very small wooded area, it spanned about a block, and the only things on that block would have been that ATM that no one ever seems to mention that should have been equipped with cameras, and two small buildings that sit side by side. Regardless of the tip and the added manpower and what seems to have been the most police work done in this entire case, two and a half weeks in in less than 48 hours, the tip and the search wound up being nothing. Ten more days pass with no news, no updates, nothing. Goldia and Lawrence are left waiting and wondering what happened to their daughter. It's almost like they had to mourn her disappearance all over again when they found her vehicle. The biggest clue in her case had been found hours before she was ever reported missing and it went unnoticed for two weeks. And it would have been longer had a family member not stumbled across it. Regardless, Phoenix's parents are still holding out hope that wherever she is, she's alive. They try to get any media attention they can on their daughter's case, and the West End word comes through. They do an interview with Phoenix's parents, and they say that they want everyone to pray that Phoenix is still alive, and that anyone who knows anything about where she might be, please come forward. Goldia tells the outlet that she just wants her daughter home where she belongs, safe and unharmed. 
The next update doesn't come until January 28th, and it's just a quick blurb on the evening news. It's an update that not many people ever really talked about because, frankly, I don't think many people saw it. But those who did said that the report included the detail that there's reason to believe that Phoenix might be in the Kansas City area. But that was it. No reason as to why she might be there or how anyone came to that conclusion, whether it was the sighting or anything else. But that was the beginning and the end of the red herring that was Kansas City, Missouri. A few days later, Phoenix's mom makes a post on Facebook, the same kind that she normally does, just trying to bring awareness to her daughter's case and to see if anyone knows where she might be. But this time it goes a little sideways. People start commenting that Phoenix isn't missing at all, that instead she has friends that are helping her stay away from her family due to control issues, that this isn't the case of a missing person, this is just the case of an adult who wanted to get away from the life she was living and start over. Her mom is quick to shut it down, though, and publicly calls out the people suggesting it, and I can't blame her. It's easy to make assumptions from the outside looking in, but when you consider all the facts of this case, it just doesn't add up to someone who left on their own accord. Whoever left her car where they did, in the way they did it, knew what they were doing. They knew how to make sure it was impounded before anyone ever knew to look for it. When you make yourself disappear, you leave behind anything that can trace back to you and take what won't. Her phone was not left behind, and that would have traced back to her. And while it wasn't left behind, it also wasn't ever used again. So you have to ask why it was taken. Was it taken because it had information on it that someone didn't want police to find? Because they weren't worried about anyone finding anything on her iPad or her laptop. She could have sold that iPad and laptop to get money to start a new life without having to worry about her bank account giving away her new location, but again, those things were left behind. Everything left in her vehicle and the vehicle itself all points to foul play if you ask me, and not just someone who felt like running away, but what the fuck do I know? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. (laughs) 
At this point, Phoenix's parents are rightfully frustrated with the fact that they don't feel like police are doing much to find their daughter. So they set up a GoFundMe account and use their life savings to hire a private investigator to try and track down some of the leads that they've been getting. And one lead comes in in April that gets everyone's hopes up. The Huffington Post writes that a man contacted Phoenix's family with an extremely detailed and convincing tip that Phoenix was still alive and she was in Texas. Without batting an eyelash, her parents used everything they had left in savings to follow this lead, but it wound up being a cruel hoax. She wasn't there, she'd never been there, and the man who sent them that tip had made up every last detail. Tracking down this lead all the way to Texas cost Phoenix's family every last dollar they had to the point where they weren't able to pay their bills, let alone their mortgage, and Phoenix's family home wound up going into foreclosure. I want to add here that even though the Colden family had a hard time getting media attention for their daughter's appearance, the Huffington Post more than came through for them time and time again. It was the Huffington Post that actually organized a donation collection for them to help save their home and to continue to be able to afford their PI, and it worked. Now, if and when Phoenix does come home, it will be the same home she grew up in. The one with the Christmas tree still lit up and her Christmas presents still waiting for her in her bedroom. Nothing was ever done about the man who gave them the false lead. No charges. Nada. It was like no matter what Phoenix's family did, they were doing the police's job at their own expense. And even when they got screwed because of it, be it the $1,000 impound fee or this monumentally expensive trip to Texas, the police still weren't there to help pick up the pieces. In fact, the Colden family says that they hadn't heard from the police since February, two months after their daughter went missing, and it had been four months now. Another full month passes, and while there are no updates from the police, Phoenix's parents start learning about another side to their daughter's life that they were completely unaware of. Phoenix was 23 when she disappeared and still living with her parents. This isn't totally uncommon, but it's not exactly common either. According to St. Louis Today, though, she hadn't always lived at home. In fact, with the help of her mother co-signing a lease on an apartment, she actually moved out on her own when she was 18. At the time, her mother was under the impression that she was going to be rooming with a girlfriend of hers, but it turns out that was never the case. For the four years she lived on her own from the age of 18 to 22, she'd actually been living with a boyfriend, a boyfriend she didn't want her parents knowing she was living with, and I can only imagine that took some extensive effort to hide for four years. Not only that, but they learned that their daughter, who they thought was a junior at UMSL, had actually not enrolled in classes that fall semester when she disappeared. There was clearly something going on in her life that was out of the norm around the time she vanished, all of which is and should have been pertinent to the police's investigation from day one, hour one. Phoenix had this whole entire side of her life that her parents were completely unaware of. 
Lawrence and Goldia said that they tried to reach out to this boyfriend that she lived with up until she was 22, but he didn't respond. Do with that what you will. But St. Louis Today reports that police don't consider him a suspect, which is one of the first times I've ever heard them make any kind of comment on this investigation. But interestingly enough, neither do Phoenix's parents. They do, however, worry that he might have gotten their daughter mixed up with the wrong crowd. Phoenix's birthday passes and her family and friends don't celebrate because they don't feel like it's appropriate. She's not there. She's still missing. They'll celebrate again when she comes home and they still very much hold out hope that one day she will. The six-month mark comes and goes and there are still no leads. An entire year passes, an entire year of false hope, frustrating dead ends, and an entire year of holidays without their daughter. There have been little to no updates from police, but as always, the Huffington Post, who seems to be one of the only outlets diligently covering this case and going to bat for the Colden family, reports that the PI working with them does not believe that Phoenix left on her own. The two-year mark passes, then the three-year, and the four, and the five, and the six, and the seven. It has been almost nine years now since Phoenix Colden vanished without a trace, and police are no closer to finding her than they were two and a half weeks after she was last seen in her driveway. Her parents still search for her on a regular basis, reaching out to advocates, speaking to experts on human trafficking, putting up flyers, talking to the community, and even searching abandoned houses. The lack of police work in this case has baffled me from the beginning. The fact that they kept little to no contact with her family, the fact that they had no record whatsoever of her car being towed, and the fact that her own parents were the ones who had to let police know where it was. The fact that no inventory report was written on the items in the vehicle because the officer said there was nothing in there when crucial evidence was sitting there waiting to be found just two and a half hours after she was last seen. But instead, it took more than two weeks to find. There are so many avenues that should have been driven down that seemed unimportant to those investigating this case. And I'd love to be wrong about that, but there hasn't been a peep about the investigation or any progress from law enforcement in any of the very few articles ever written about her. When I cover a missing persons case, I'm usually drowning in publications from every local news station within a 50-mile radius on top of the national coverage they usually get at least once or twice. But that wasn't the case here. There have been no named suspects or persons of interest, and frankly, the biggest advocates in Finding Phoenix have been her parents. They've begged the media to cover her case, but haven't had much luck outside of the Huffington Post, making sure that Phoenix's name is never forgotten. Most articles about her disappearance have timed out and been moved to archives. Her missing Facebook page is no longer there, and the community support seems to dwindle by the day as we get further and further away from the last time she was seen. Just when it seemed like people were forgetting all about her case, Oxygen did a limited series, and they did a deep dive and found something new. In the series, her mom is seen dumping out a bag that contained all the items found in her car. Some of it seemed like trash, but one was a piece of mail that caught their eye. It was a phone bill, but it was in collections. 
Phoenix was on her parents' phone plan and didn't have a bill, and it certainly wasn't ever in collections. Her mother, seemingly unshocked, acknowledges that it looks like Phoenix had a second phone that they never knew about. How no one noticed this until now is beyond me. Now, not only do we still not know who Phoenix was talking to in the driveway that December afternoon in 2011, we don't know which cell phone she was on at the time. Accessing the records to that secret second cell phone and analyzing the numbers she frequently called on it and cross-referencing them with the numbers she did not call on the other phone her parents paid for seems like it would be a natural no-brainer for police. But here we are, this many years later, and we're somehow just now finding out about this phone, when that bill was in her car when it was towed before anyone even knew she was missing. This isn't something that fell out of thin air. That blazer should have been taken off that impound lot by the police and processed with a fine-tooth comb. But, again, here we are. As the docuseries continued, the details about how her car was found also change. According to the officer who found the vehicle, the car was not found running and the door was not found open. The officer said he just figured the car had run out of gas and didn't think there was anything suspicious about it. But nonetheless, why weren't her plates run? If they were, they would have seen that it was registered to Goldia and could have called her and asked why her vehicle was parked on the side of the road, facing the wrong direction of traffic, and police wouldn't have missed out on the first crucial 48 hours. But they didn't so much as write a report that it had been towed, and instead of missing out on the first 48, they missed out on the first two weeks. In the end, everyone who is still investigating this case seems to think that Phoenix is still out there somewhere, that someone knows what happened that day and knows where she is now. And if that person is you, or if you think you might know someone who does, please call 305 482 3771. That's 305-482-3771. For all photos and maps pertaining to this case, check out Phoenix's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about the utter frustration that is this case. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, or for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. Mm -hmm.